0: Hi, this is Father Tim, and welcome to RTB, Read the Bible Podcast. RTB offers students a Bible reading plan with commentary and questions and answers as they go on the journey to read the Bible. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to RTB. Our first full episode of the semester where we are going to go through the book of Proverbs. And this is a very interesting book, the kind of first book of the wisdom literature, often covered as the kind of introduction to the wisdom literature, or kind of the most basic or the most simple of the book uh, of the wisdom books. Um, And I hope to kind of show that tonight there is a lot more than meets the eye as it relates to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. But it is also, just to kind of right from the start to know, it's a kind of a hard book to teach. It's a hard book to say that this is the key message that you want to take out of it, that this is the one thing or um, perhaps one aspect of this book is the most important. And I think part of the reason for that is, at the end of the day, this is a book of moral instruction. And it's moral instruction on the natural law and growth in the virtues. So I think as you're kind of reading the book of Proverbs, it is an incredibly deep book with all sorts of great allegory pointing towards the future, understanding the fullness of the life of Christ and the church, but at the end of the day, it kind of is a book for you personally and your own moral growth, and especially the acquisition of wisdom and fear of the Lord to grow in your own life, okay? So with that being said, I'm going to kind of give a take of the book and just Um, pick and choose a number of various proverbs in the book, but I could have chosen uh, a great number of other proverbs and focused on a number of other areas. And so you'll start to see, I think, that this is a very uh, rich book that could be read over and over and over again and might kind of hit you in different ways at different times depending on when you read it, okay? And so um, as we just talk about the book itself, it's often referred to as kind of the first book of the wisdom literature, and it's sort of that first in that kind of Solomon's trilogy of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, and the book itself opens the very first line. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, and I mentioned last week in the kind of introduction to the wisdom literature that we're going to set all of the wisdom literature in this context of Uh, of the Davidic kingdom, and in sort of this height of the Solomonic uh, empire, the kingdom, because Solomon is this man known for great wisdom, that he when he was king of the United Israel, the Lord appeared to him and the Lord said, what do you want of me? And Solomon asked for an understanding heart, Um, that was this specific phrase in the Hebrew, an understanding heart, and the Lord responds, is because you asked for wisdom. So to understand this sense of wisdom as an understanding heart, um, that Solomon is himself very much known for wisdom. And so much of the wisdom literature is associated with Solomon. We actually have directly from the Old Testament uh, where it talks about Solomon himself uttering a number of Proverbs. So In the book of 1 Kings, it's one of the historical books, you hear a little bit about how the fame of Solomon was known. and It was spread far and wide that Solomon had this great, great grasp of wisdom. And people would come to witness the height of the Davidic kingdom, to see the great temple, to see the prosperity that Solomon had helped ushered in for the Israelite people. And it says, and amidst all of that, it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and largeness of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And then it says, he also uttered, and this is 1 Kings verse 4, verse 32, sorry, chapter 4, verse 32, he also uttered 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were a thousand and five. And so Solomon from his lip uttered many proverbs or many sayings, sayings of mashal in the Hebrew, sayings of wisdom, sayings of kind of short stanzas that help to speak a moral truth, that speak to practical wisdom, that speak to morality and judgment and how to live your life, Okay. And so what we have in the first, um, in the book of Proverbs is in many ways, some of the utterances of Solomon, some of the Proverbs and some of the wisdom that he helped promote and proclaim. But it's also not difficult to see as you look into the book that these are not just the Proverbs of, of Solomon and that the book was very clearly compiled with a very specific intention of both the the sayings of Solomon, but also the sayings of other people. And so what we have in this book of Proverbs is a large collection of moral instruction, of practical wisdom to cultivate virtue. In essence, think of this book as instruction. If you want to teach, if you're a father, let's say use that phrase, you're a father teaching your son how to live, that's what this book is about how do I help bring someone into line with what the moral law and the natural law speaks to? And I think because of that, people think it's kind of simple or basic um, and doesn't speak much about like revelation, but at the same time, this is so important because uh, the foundation for natural law and natural virtue is absolutely essential. And that itself is now forms part of what we come on to understand as revelation, the importance of the virtues to live the life of faith and so there's quite a bit, it's not quite as simple as some people make it out to be and so what you're going to kind of see is that structure is everything as it relates to this book because the structure is pretty clearly laid out where there is an introduction, Um, the first nine chapters in in a sense kind of form this introduction of the Proverbs of Solomon. So chapters one through nine, you're going to see over and over again, the phrase is my son and then a statement, my son. And depending on who you read, this, there's either just 10 times very clearly that um, the author is trying to draw out these 10 sayings of my son or there might be a few more, but basically you can divide these first nine chapters into these discourses to my son, this fatherly instruction. And then there's also in the first nine chapters three very clearly different um, sections that are what are often called discourses of wisdom personified. Because as we talked about last week, that wisdom itself is, um, is feminine, is this woman who we want to have a relationship with. And that sort of theme of lady wisdom is very clear all throughout the book of solomon. And so in these first 9 chapters you have these three separate discourses of wisdom personified. Then at chapter 10 what most people see is seven very clear collections of proverbs. So there's first a collection of Solomon, then a, a collection of just says they are wise sayings, a second collection of the wise, a second collection of Solomon. Then there are some other interesting characters that we don't know that much about historically. The collection, the words of Agur. Um, There's another kind of numerical collection that's a little bit harder to find if you're just reading your English Bible, but most literary scholars agree that there is this other collection. And then the words of Lemuel. And I'll point those out as we go through the text and on your handout as well. There's a clear, uh, clear distinction of where those different collections... And you'll see both of those, all of those collections kind of have their own primary way of giving these Proverbs, but there's also a fair amount of diversity even within those collections, okay? Lastly, the, probably one of the more famous aspects of the book of Proverbs is this very last chapter, Proverbs 31, the song of the woman of valor, okay? And we'll kind of cover that at the end because that has both allegorical and just some good moral basic implications and is a very famous passage in all of the history of Christianity and even Judaism. Okay. But essentially that's what we're looking at. This great book that shows us a number of themes. And I would say the primary themes is a life. The primary theme is a life of virtue. And so on your handout, I have, um, all basically the seven deadly sins, pride, anger, envy, greed, lust, gluttony, and sloth are all talked about extensively, as well as the virtues of humility, gentleness, uh, joy for others, generosity, chastity, temperance, diligence. A number of virtues are proclaimed because these are, in a sense, the virtues to live a good life. How do I live a good life? How do I follow moral instruction? And that's kind of what you see In this amazing book of the Proverbs. With that as an introduction we will go through this book and as I mentioned we're just going to kind of hit a number of various uh, passages and Proverbs. We could do more we could do less but we'll just kind of work our way slowly but surely chapter through chapter of the of the book and I'll kind of make a comment when we're entering a new collection of the Proverbs. So if you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, it starts like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, that men may know wisdom and instruction, understand words of insight, receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, that prudence may be given to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The wise man may also hear an increase in learning, and the man of understanding acquires skill." to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. What you have there is kind of this purpose of the book. Just what I said, to know wisdom, to know instruction, to receive instruction, to grow in the virtues, justice, equity, to have discretion and especially discretion to the youth and that we might understand skill. We could even say virtue. This is why this was written. Then chapter... 1 verse 7 does set up what I think is one of the main key themes of the entire book where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the fear of the Lord. We can also say is the beginning of wisdom. So as we start this path through all of the wisdom literature, this is where we start. Fear of the Lord. Now what is meant by fear of the Lord is um, there's much been written about it. It's not this sort of sense of servile fear that I, uh, that, I have to, that I have this sort of frightened nature that I um, must do this because it could be no other way. What it actually helps out quite a bit, and I talked about this at length the last week, about how Proverbs are set up in these, in these um, parallelism or these sort of couplets Because you'll actually see later on, the fear of the Lord is often compared with humility. And so a couple will say, the fear of the Lord is this, and humility is this. I'll point it out when we get there. But basically that the great sense of fear of the Lord is first humility. That this is God, my father, who I'm placing myself under. And I would not want to disappoint my father. And so I have this healthy humility and you can say healthy fear as I approach the wisdom that he is going to give me, okay? And so to approach this book and approach all the wisdom literature with this sense of humility or this fear of the Lord is very, very helpful. The first chapter continues, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and reject not your mother's teaching, for they are a fair garland around your head and a pendant for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Okay, so basically what you then start to see, there's one example of this, my son, and you'll see this phrase com- uh, repeated all throughout the time. And I think that's very important. Many good authors have pointed out how there is this sort of covenantal relationship. It's not, just, it's not insignificant that it's a father speaking to a son, especially as we understand this in our Christian context that we are called to be sons and daughters of God, the Father. How does that happen? Through a covenantal relationship that happens at baptism when we become adopted sons of God. And so to think that this is the sort of precursor, this sort of basic natural desire to do good and to avoid evil. And so the first kind of claim towards the son is to uh, not fall for sin. Then as we continue, the very first discourse of wisdom personified follows pretty shortly thereafter. So this is chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. On the top of the walls, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my, re- my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. So, this is wisdom personified as a woman. And this is also very important because you'll see this at the very end of Proverbs 31, the woman of valor, Lady Wisdom. That what Lady Wisdom wants to reveal is her goodness, her truth, her understanding. She is giving this to you. And to enter into a relationship with Lady Wisdom is a beautiful covenantal relationship which is very different from the relationship of folly that you'll see very shortly. And so we want to choose this good wisdom. We want to follow in this path of knowledge and understanding. You can see, for example, in uh, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and their complacence of fools destroyed them. But he who listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of evil. All right. So wisdom is, Lady Wisdom is encouraging us to listen to her advice. Chapter two goes right back again to the father-son my relationship. My son, receive my words. And it goes in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I had mentioned last week that wisdom ultimately is is a gift of the Holy Spirit and that wisdom does come from God. There is an uncreated wisdom that sort of participates in the very life of God. Chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching but let your hearts keep my commandment for length of days and years of life are abundant welfare will they give you. Let not loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. I think what's also that sort of gives a sort of parallel to is, if you remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when when Jesus is with Mary and Joseph, they find him in the temple, listening and asking questions, and they find him, and it says that Jesus was loyal, um, was obedient to Joseph and Mary, and he grew in favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And so I think there's a really nice little parallel here, seeing that we too are supposed to be loyal to our parents, and this is the sort of sense of the fatherly love that wants to be given to us. Chapter 2, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And do not rely on your own insight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. This is a very common theme repeated over, that we don't trust in our own insight. We think we know the answers, but especially we need to trust in the Lord. We always need to trust in the Lord, but especially when we think we know the answers. Another big theme that comes up throughout the book, you can see in chapter 2 verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This passage is quoted in Hebrews. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verses five and six, that discipline seems difficult at first, but is absolutely essential. So you can also see this book, Proverbs is training and discipline. Proverbs is training and discipline. Discipline, is not something to be avoided, but is how a father loves his children. He loves them so he, because because he loves them, he is willing to discipline them when they're incorrect to help guide them on the path. Chapter 2, verse 13 starts the second discourse um, of the personification of wisdom, where it says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding for the gain from it is better than gain from silver and its profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who laid a hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. All right, so wisdom, and especially this sort of lady wisdom, is more precious than jewels. This is valuable stuff to come to understand the truths that God is revealing to us and how to live our lives. And we'd want to cling to that. And then this phrase, you'll see this several different times she is a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. I'm going to take this from an um, amazing biblical scholar, um, uh, Dr. John Bergsma, because uh, I think it was, I, I heard him speak about it, which was just so clear. The idea is if you draw yourself back to the Garden of Eden, if you remember there are two trees in the opening story of Genesis, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And so the Lord gave them to eat from all of the trees except the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And so how beautiful this is to point out that, well, what did they do? What did Adam and Eve do? They ate from the tree that they, that they should not have eaten at. And did they gain wisdom? No. So what is the true path of wisdom? Wisdom is, in fact, the tree of life. To gain wisdom, I eat from the tree of life. I don't eat from the tree of knowledge, if that makes sense. So it's a very interesting, almost paradoxical, what we might think. Where is true wisdom found? In this pathway to life, in this tree of life. And of course, um, so many of the early church fathers pointed to the Eucharist as the fruit of the tree of life. Um, wisdom uh, incarnate in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, jumping ahead, because we could go through a lot more. Um, chapter 4, um, humility is also a very, very powerful theme that is drawn throughout pride versus humility. Actually, it'd be chapter three, verse 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he shows favor. And so that is actually repeated in various ways in Proverbs and then also in the New Testament letters of James and Peter's that that to the proud, the Lord withholds grace, but he gives favor or grace to the humble, okay? So humility is so very important. Chapter four then actually talks about the power of wisdom as insight. It says, hear, O sons, remember again, O sons, or my son, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. It says later, verse five, get wisdom, get insight. And so that's another very common theme is that wisdom allows me to get to know the nature of things. It gives insight, sight into something to know how it's really supposed to work, how it's really supposed to function. Chapter four continues about the path of wisdom. Hear my son and accept my words that your years of life may be many. Keep in mind as we go through the, all of the the wisdom literatures, Proverbs sort of promises this long life. This is the path to a long, this is the path to a good life. Okay. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline my ear to my sayings for they are life who finds them. And healing to all his flesh, that the words of the Lord, the words of wisdom, heal. Very, very beautiful. Chapter 5, we start to see a theme that is very common and is actually um, pretty much carries us to the end of chapter 8, which is we have this beautiful lady, Wisdom, but we also have another, um, another woman that we want to be very careful a woman that can um, lead astray. A woman that could lead us into adulter- adultery. My son, be attentive to wisdom. This is verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Be attentive to my wisdom and climb my, your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a loose woman drew honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is, a, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And so this idea of the loose woman, the promiscuous woman, right? This is very much drawn out in a number of ways. And you see that here are two choices to be faithful to lady wisdom and the path of virtue or to live in the promiscuity of, in the folly of the promiscuous way of the world, the way of anger, the way of gluttony, the way of drunkenness, the way of sexual immorality. These are two very, very different um, themes that are addressed. Chapter six. Moving on, my son, if you have been sure, if you have, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the utterances of your lips, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into your neighbor's power. Go, hasten, and importune your neighbor. So, help for the neighbor. Diligence is also talked about quite a bit. He then moves on in chapter 6, verse 6, to talk about laziness and to avoid laziness. The word sluggard is is often put forward. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Once again, reiterating that phrase of the importance of discipline, but also this line, the commandment is a lamp. You see that in Psalm 119. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my steps, that the path of wisdom provides us a way to walk forward. He later in chapter 6 again uses this phrase about um, adultery with Lady Folly versus uh, life with Lady Wisdom. Chapter 7 continues on. There's one passage that's worth noting, uh, which says, my son, verse 1 through 3 My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So, a clear allusion to the tablets, the commandments of the Lord, written and given to Moses, written by the finger of the Lord. And yet, in Jeremiah, it's talked about how the promise of this new covenant will not be written on stone, but will be written on the heart that this new law of the Holy Spirit to live out these sort of commandments of wisdom must be written on the heart. And if we understand that wisdom being a gift of the Holy Spirit, being from God himself, um, we understand that, yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, dwells in our soul, and allows us to live these words of wisdom. Okay, chapter 8, we have our third discourse of wisdom personified. It says, does not wisdom call? I'm going to jump around a little bit. To you, O men, I call and my cries to the sons of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. The virtue of prudence. Prudence is wisdom in action. It's practical wisdom. And it says in chapter 8, verse 10, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell in prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And so again, wisdom personified is so valuable, more than, more than jewels. It continues that kings rule by wisdom. And then wisdom herself, it says in 20, walk, I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, endowing with wealth those who love me and filling their treasures. Okay, wisdom personified. Now, interestingly enough, when you go to chapter 8, verse 22, you have one of the more infamous passages in Christianity, and it was a passage that might seem very inconspicuous to us, but divided Christianity for a long, long time. This very singular passage in Wisdom 8.22 that says, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. And so it continues actually without reading that entire sentence. I'll, I'll jump around a little bit from wisdom eight twenty two to 36, hitting a few of the phrases where it also says, before the mountains had been shaped before the hills, I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its field or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. Then I was beside him like a master workman and I was his daily delight. And now my sons listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Happy is the man who listens to me. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay, so focusing largely on that 822, the Lord created me, you could see that there's a talk about creation of the world and how wisdom is present in creation of the world. Now, almost all Christians had come to understand that in a sense that we're talking about who is there at the beginning of the world or who is creation incarnate or who is wisdom incarnate is our Lord Jesus, right? Now, what's so interesting is that then this line, the Lord created me. And this is actually one of the biggest sources of a guy named Arius who denied the divinity of Christ and split almost all of Europe down with him And one of the largest heresies in the early church. The reason why we say the Nicene Creed and it all comes down, not all, one of the biggest things comes down to this passage. The Lord created me. Because Christians interpreted this as pointing to Christ. Now, interestingly enough, without getting too deep into the weeds, um, your translation of created is, is a translation. There's certainly an understanding. It's a better translation of acquire. The Hebrew word is banah. Um, but basically coming to understand, again, this does not point to Jesus as a creation. Um, I think what is very helpful to understand is when wisdom is referred to, there is an uncreated wisdom and a created wisdom. The uncreated wisdom is that which is God himself, dwells in God himself, and Jesus is uncreated. He is begotten by the Father from all time. But especially when we talk a little bit more of this lady wisdom, this wisdom personified, um, I think the Marian images are much more beautiful and much more, Clear to understand um, this seat of wisdom that Mary is the uncreated wisdom by which, sorry, Mary is, forgive me there, Mary is the created wisdom which gave birth to the uncreated wisdom. Okay. But just to know that it's a very interesting thing that this passage 822 caused great controversy in the life of the church and something you probably uh, didn't know coming into this podcast. Now, moving forward. Chapter 9 is when we actually see the end of this first um, kind of introduction, and it really sets up the rest of the book, because chapter 9 reads like this. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts, and she has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her maids to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who is without sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave simpleness and live and walk in the way of insight. It's a beautiful passage well worth meditating on. Wisdom has built her house with seven pillars and there's a banquet with bread and wine. What do you think that might be referring to? Now, interesting enough, if you're in the Jewish faith, they saw this as pointing to the book of wisdom itself, because what follows are seven collections of wisdom. Each of these new collections of wisdom points to uh, one of the pillars of the collection. But there's very clear temple and sacrificial imagery here. And so it's talked about the different pillars in the temple of Jerusalem where sacrifices would be made. But for us Christians, we come to understand how very beautiful and clearly this is an allegory pointing to the church, of which the temple pointed to as well. And how is our church built, this house? On the pillars of the seven sacraments. And how, uh, what is the primary sacrament that we focus on so centrally, where we eat and drink and have the way of life and the way of insight. So it's very clear Eucharistic. And the early church fathers did not miss that Eucharistic imagery. And why, in many ways, this sort of book of Proverbs, then you can kind of see really takes this new shape in chapter 9, is because then we repeat those phrases that we saw again. Chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to my life. Okay. So from here on out, we can just go through very briefly the seven collections of wisdom and this will go much faster than these first nine chapters because what you'll see is that most of the themes that we have already covered or that exist in the first nine chapters are just repeated in various and different ways in these next seven collections. So the first collection of wisdom runs from chapter 10 to chapter 22, verse 16. So it's by and large... Uh, the largest collection of sayings for the entire book, running almost a third of it. And these are Proverbs of Solomon, as it says in 10 verse 1. What you find mostly is there, but not entirely, is antithetical parallelism. I mentioned that last time. Antithetical couplets, where it gives a positive example and then a negative example. So it's the positive example and the negative example. The very first example is a wise son makes a... Glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So you see, the wise son makes the glad father, but the foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. So you see, you see a mix between the two. So the wisdom of the son, and then the foolish son, the glad father, and the sorrowful mother. And you see this, those sort of pairs, the antithetical pairs throughout the rest of that, um, through the large collection. So just to pick a few of these. Um, cause one of the themes we haven't talked about is a phrase that I found really helpful is temperance of the tongue to limit your speech. That's a pretty big area that, uh, Solomon hits in this part where he says, he who conceals hatred has lying lips and he who utters slander is a fool. When words are many transgression is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is prudent. So a very interesting thing temperance of the tongue. That is chapter 10, verse 19. Chapter 11, we'll jump ahead quite a bit now going through the rest of the book. Um, Pride and humility, just another example. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. We'll jump to 11, verse 29. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but lawlessness takes away lives. If righteousness is, is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? And so that idea again of the fruit of the tree of life is righteousness, is justice. Justice or righteousness are, are largely interchangeable here. Um, and that there's going to be a certain repayment of righteousness, right? That that if I do well, things can happen according to natural virtue. That's one of the big pushes of this book, which then kind of... Uh, In Ecclesiastes, we see maybe it's not quite as simple, but also this question then, the wicked though will certainly be repaid and not repaid well. Chapters 12 through 14 focus on a number of different things, but uh, prudence, discipline, a number number of themes. Just to pick a couple, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That's 12 verse 15. Twelve twenty-eight. in the path of righteousness is life, but the way of error leads to death. Chapter 13, verse 17, one man pretends to be rich yet has nothing, another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. Um, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This, again, fruit of the tree of life fulfills our desire. Prudence recommended, recognized again, Chapter 14, wisdom um, builds her house. So again, this idea of we're building a family, a dwelling, a house. Um, Chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That Prudence really speaks to following the commandments of God to sort of have a distrust for our own instinct. Um, Fear of the Lord comes back again. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That's 14, 26, and 27. Um, chapter 15, we see correction and discipline, again, from the life of the Father. Um, we see in fifteen, sixteen, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. You see this come out pretty clearly that the spiritual is more important than the material. Better a dinner of herbs with love than a fatted ox and hatred with it. It's a wonderful proverb. Just eating and drinking the finest without love is silliness. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And humility goes before honor. That's chapter 15, verse 33. Again, that's where you see in the pair, fear of the Lord and humility are compared. All right. 16, commit your life, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That's verse 3. Verse 16, to get wisdom is better than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Okay, so I'm going to jump quite ahead here as you can kind of see much of this continues and you can pick and choose um, a wonderful number of themes, topics, ideas. Um, friendship is kind of brought in in 17, 18, 19. A friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. Um, to give to the poor... And to care for the poor and to be a good friend uh, is also very important in chapter 19 as well. Uh, Chapter 20 um, speaks a little bit about purity, among other things. Um, It speaks about honesty, the need to care for your father and mother as well. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 29 is a great proverb. The glory of young men is their strength, but the beauty of old men is their gray hair. I think that's a very interesting proverb. That we tend to glorify strength, especially in our youth, but our strength changes and there's beauty in wisdom, especially the wisdom of, um, the wisdom of, uh, of the Lord. Chapter 21, verse, uh, two and three, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice those themes are repeated in Hosea and the gospels is, um, I desire mercy. I desire covenant fidelity, not sacrifice. Okay. What else do we have? Ah, very funny. People like to point this out. Um, there is talk about, uh, careful choice and who you marry. Don't marry a contentious woman is what it says. Uh, It says in 2119, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and fretful woman. So again, lady wisdom versus promiscuous uh, lady wisdom versus lady folly. Um, So uh, I think that's actually really good advice in just the sense of who we marry is very important. Chapter 21 ends, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory, it belongs to the Lord the victory belongs to the lord so whatever battles we're fighting we use instruments but it but it belongs to the world the belongs to the lord okay continue on now the second collection now the next collections are all much much shorter so the second collection we see is the words of the wise and that begins on um, let's see proverbs 22 verse 17 through 24 22 it starts Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. For if you, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. Where the first collection of Solomon was more the antithetical couplets, these are synonymous couplets by and large. Not always, but generally speaking, they are things, um, for example, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate in verse 22. So it's saying the same thing twice. And that's the sort of theme for that section, which focuses on a number of things, just counsel and knowledge, the importance of that. Um, Let's see. Discipline comes back again. Fear of the Lord. Definitely um, a concern for temperance. It says in 23 verse 20, Be not among wine bibbers or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So clear, clear concern for those sort of things. And in verse 24, again, the wisdom is built a house, and understanding it's established. Knowledge the rooms are filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. So many of the same themes, which we certainly could uh, spend time with, Uh, One last one of note, 2417, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Allusions to our Lord telling us to pray for our enemies all the way back in the Old Testament. All right. Collection number three of seven is very short. It's a second collection of the wise and it just, the introduction there in 2423 um, says, these are also the sayings of the wise and they're very short sayings that speak to honesty um, and diligence, essentially. The fourth collection follows very shortly thereafter, and that's the second collection of Solomon, and that's more antithetical couplets, Proverbs 25-29. to So you actually see that the literary structure of the second collection of Solomon even kind of mimics the um, first section. Um, just a couple of note: if you go to chapter 26, verse 11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. That is actually quoted in Second Peter, that the dog, basically when we meet the Lord, we don't want to turn back to our ways of vice. It's like a dog returning to his vomit, says Peter, and he's drawing on the Proverbs. Another great image is going backwards, a little bit out of order, but 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city without walls. There's no defenses. It's a great image. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth, it says in 27. That also is very similar to the Lord who says, sufficient enough is the evil for today. Do not worry about tomorrow. Chapter Chapter 27, verse 10, I really like. Your friend and your father's friend do not forsake and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Spend some time with that one because I I have reflected on this in other contexts. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. How often when we in our lives have trouble, we want to go to someone far away. But our Lord tells us to love our neighbors and to make friends with those literally right next to us. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Great, great proverb. Probably the most famous proverb of all comes in chapter 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Okay. Let's jump forward again to the next collection, which is on Proverbs chapter 30. This is the words of Agur, son of Jeke, of Massa. Where is Massa and who is Agur? Much debate, not of major concern for you as you read it. Some people say Massa is Northern Arabia, some people say Syria. It's a little unclear exactly, but what happens here is the next two sections are largely numerical Proverbs, so there's clear connections to numbers and you'll see that especially in the next one but a couple of them for example in the words of agar two things i ask of you deny them not before me before i die remove far from me falsehood and lying give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food that is needful for me so he kind of claims there are two things to say or four things to say and sometimes as i talked about that progressive uh, parallelism that he says two things but actually gives you three to kind of point out that the third is actually the most important. It is worth noting uh, Proverbs 30, verse 4. It says, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in its fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Again, if I'm reading this as a Christian, the one who has knowledge of the Holy One, who has ascended to heaven and has come down from heaven, who has established all the ends of the earth, what's his name? If this isn't a reference and an allusion, at least as we understand it in the fullness of the Bible, to our Lord Jesus, I'm not sure what else is. And it's actually a good point to know on your handout, there's a number of sayings in Proverbs that speak to the righteous one or to a blessing, or to someone who is wise, who does this, and you can actually see that in the life of Christ. So I encourage you to take a look at that handout. The next uh, set of Proverbs is kind of hidden in your English text. Again, there's not the same collection um, or the same sort of introduction that you see because it starts at chapter 30, verse 15, and just goes until verse 33. Um, And these are all numerical Proverbs. You can kind of see. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Three things are too wonderful me. Four I do not understand. Um, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. This is very important for students at the University of Wisconsin. Absolutely listen up. Proverbs 30, verse 26. Four, and it starts with 24, though, but 26 is the, the lines you want to listen to. Four things on earth are, are small, but they're exceedingly wise. And then he goes through the four things. The ants are the first because they are a people not strong, yet they provide food in the summer. The second thing that is small but exceedingly wise, the badgers. The badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the rock. So since this is for St. Paul's Catholic Student Center, know that according to the word of God in Proverbs, badgers are exceedingly wise. All right. So there you go. Um, a nice reference to curds if we want to fully go to our full Wisconsin heritage for pressing milk produces curds in verse 33. Okay. A little bit more seriously jumping back to Proverbs 31, the last collection, the last chapter of the book come from the words of Lemuel, the king of Massa. And this is kind of beautiful. We talked about the father giving his instruction. The last collection is from Mama. These are words which his mother Taught him. Their wisdom from mom. And what does mom say? In essence, avoid overindulgence, especially overindulgence of, um, to put it in modern terms, uh, sex and booze, right? And what to do to take the sort of wine and strong drink and give it to the poor and to the afflicted. Give money to the poor and dying. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and needy. Let them let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So it's actually just a really beautiful, very short passage about the sort of motherly care and mercy, the sort of motherly affection um, that, that tends to be in the, in the sort of um, feminine motherly role. Now, Proverbs 31, to close the book, again, probably the most... Famous and probably the most important section of the entire book, sometimes referred to as the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay, and it's so very important. There's a couple of parallels, um, and they have that's on the back of your handout between Lady Wisdom in the beginning and this valiant woman at the end. The parallels are almost incredibly striking. Both Lady Wisdom and the valiant woman are more precious than jewels, provide food, repay with love and prosperity. Give instruction are incomparable. And so, and are both associated with the fear of the Lord. So this very last section, the author clearly wants you to associate. Everything we've said about Lady Wisdom is personified in this person, right? And so if you're going to take and personify, what is wisdom made flesh? What is wisdom that um, I could give the greatest example And I think this is very beautiful. He could have chosen a king, a ruler, a leader. He chooses a housewife. A simple woman who does not so simple things. An ordinary life, in a sense, but with absolute extraordinary grace. That it is a wife and a mother that is Lady Wisdom incarnate. And the poem itself, it's actually, it's a full poem that starts on Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. And the poem is what's called an acrostic poem, where the first line of each phrase is in the alphabetical order. So it's like the first line starts with an A, the second line starts with a B, the second line starts with a Z, the the fourth line starts with the i I've already forgotten, A, B, C, D, and it goes through. So this is... The noble woman, the woman of valor, the valiant woman from A to Z. The best you can imagine. The ideal woman. And even sometimes it says um, she is, a, a, what is it, a, a good wife or a good woman. And the words actually aren't quite strong enough in most of our English. It's literally a woman of force, a woman of strength, a woman of valor. This is the person that we're talking about. This is the good woman. And so let's just read that in whole. Proverbs 31.10 Who can find a good wife? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and tasks for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She clothes her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes herself coverings, Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This woman of valor, this valiant woman, this woman of strength, She's not just a simple wife, a simple mother. She produces, she works in the marketplace, she gives to the poor, this beautiful perfection of all aspects of life, has kindness. And actually in the Jewish Old Testament, how beautiful actually, the book of Proverbs is followed by the book of Ruth, which kind of really nicely ties in to see how the story of Ruth is a really noble example and she Ruth fulfills many of these things a true woman of valor and that's good that's true that's beautiful but in the christian tradition as we understand Ruth is just a foreshadowing herself of a greater woman of a woman which it says in the Old, in the new testament all generations will call me blessed and how that fits so beautifully in proverbs 31 her children rise up and call her blessed and that Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And so this is very clearly an allegory to our mother, Mary. She is the perfect woman. She is the one who does all this wonderfully. She opens her mouth to kindness. She says, do whatever he tells you, pointing to Christ. All generations call her blessed. And blessed are you among women as it says in Luke one forty two, But Mary too is also this symbol of the church, the one who gives birth to Christ and the birth of in, uh, sorry uncreated wisdom. And so as we look at this sort of final phrase, we just see lady wisdom, the woman we want to have a relationship with is our lady. And lady wisdom will point us to wisdom uncreated Wisdom incarnate in the full, that is Jesus Christ. All right. And so there's beautiful, beautiful foreshadowings, um, Christian underpinnings alongside all of this other beautiful pursuit of natural virtue. Okay. So as we kind of take this in, we start to see that fear of the Lord, humility. Those are kind of the key areas, but especially ways to live a good life, a long life, as it says in Proverbs. Now, next week, we're going to go through Ecclesiastes and Again, seeing that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are kind of read together, Ecclesiastes kind of says, wait a second. If Proverbs says, this is how I should live a good life, a long life, well, what does it matter if I die? It seems vain. vain. It seems useless. And that's sort of the next stage of wisdom that we're going to see. So the fear of the Lord is the first stage of wisdom. But what are we going to learn about Uh, the path and the growth of wisdom. That's what we'll see next week in Ecclesiastes. So much shorter on the reading, just 12 chapters. So we will cover that next week. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of RTB. If you have questions you would like answered on the podcast, you can email them to Father Tim at tmergen at uwcatholic.org. That's t m e r g e n at uwcatholic.org. Thanks, and be assured of my prayers for you as you read the Bible.